0: Amen. That was absolutely great. Good to see all of you here this morning. Welcome to 2023. By God's grace, He saw us through the year of 2022. Most of us have come through it without being uh, touched too much. We've finally got back into some normality as a congregation and to some degree our lives them- themselves. And here we are now in 2023, the very first day, getting ready to go into doing some incredible things listen if you are visiting with us this morning we want you to know that you are an honored guest we are so thankful that you have chosen to come our way and spend these moments of worshiping god as we gathered around the lord's table to remember what jesus christ has done for us and then of course to sing these incredible songs you sang so well and so i'm so lifted up um so glad that you are here with us if you're in the back we're glad that you're here if you're online I thank you for tuning in with us. We're glad that you're here with us as, as well. Anyway, it's good to see all of you uh, here uh, this morning as we begin the year of 2023. Let me just remind you that our series on The Chosen ended with the uh, fall quarter and we're beginning our winter quarter. And so uh, as we go into that on Sunday evening, now we'll be back to our regular, except for this evening we're going to begin learning a new song. We're not learning a new song. That's the next Sunday. So am I preaching tonight? you're preaching tonight okay well I thought we were learning a new song tonight but okay So well, that's that's all good well, anyway so I guess never mind that thing just be here at five o'clock and we'll just have regular services man you just like to gave me a heart attack brother good thing I have two sermons in the bag from last Sunday not being here anyway anyway good to see all of you here uh, this evening So I wanna take you back to New Year's Day uh, 1929. For those of you who are sports fans, you might remember this story a little bit. Georgia Tech was playing UCLA in the Rose Bowl. That day there were over 60,000 fans in the stands. It was an incredible day. The teams were having a hard fought uh, game. Roy Regals was a young man that um, recovered a fumble. uh, Texas Tech fumbled the ball. Uh, Roy Regals, he picked up the ball but he was a little bit confused anyway he began running the ball and he ran 65 yards to the end zone unfortunately like I said he was confused and it was the wrong end zone that he was running toward and so a friend of his name by the name of Lom he he chased him down he's one of the fastest players on his team chased him down and he caught him and tackled him around the one yard line Well, of course, you know, UCLA is worried about getting a safety, so they decided to punt the ball on first and 10. And so they snapped the ball to punt the ball, and Georgia Tech, they blocked the ball, and they eventually got the safety two points. Well, the half ended, and they went into the locker room, uh, UCLA down by eight points. And so it's not a huge amount in today's world, but back in that day, You know, eight points was a lot of points for a football game. So they went into the the locker room, and UCLA was really down, and the guys were in there, and their heads were just kind of hung down. You know, they were so disappointed in how they had played that they had not played better, but none more so than Roy Regals. I mean, Roy, he was absolutely devastated by what had happened there, and and he was just extremely down about that. Well, as as they got talking about what was going on, the Coach Nibs Price, he said to his team, he says, "Listen, he goes, the same team that the same uh, group that started the first half will start the second half." And so they began to leave the locker room and go out onto the field. And as he went onto the field, Coach Price noticed that Roy Riggles was not up with the team. He's still sitting. His heads are in it. his head is in his hands, and there are tears in his eyes and they're flowing down his cheeks. And he and he says to Roy, he goes, "Roy, did you hear what I said?" I said to you that the same same 11 that started in the first half will start in the the second half. And Roy Regals, he was just so distraught from that that he was just not able to to do that. Uh, He was just so down. Well, Roy Regals from that day on was given a brand that followed him throughout his entire life. And that brand was Wrong Way Regals. And that's what he, he lived with. I mean, we're talking 50 years beyond that ball game. He was still referred to as Wrong Way Regals or Wrong Way Roy uh, Regals. You can only ma- imagine what that must have uh, been like. I mean, how would you like to start your New Year's with that kind of a brand, Wrong Way Regals? One, one day. We're just talking about one day, one play, one moment in Time and Roe Regal's life is completely defined. I mean never mind all that he had achieved He had earned first team all-american. He served as the team's captain He's voted onto the all-coast team a great blocker tackler His coach the said that he was the smartest player that he had ever coached many of those who played on the other side of the ball said he was the greatest player that they ever played against and yet this guy in that one moment in that one play with that moment in, in time He's branded for the rest of his life as wrong-way regals. So Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there any one day, one decision or choice, one moment in time that has defined your life? And if so, should it? Should there be a moment in time, a, a play in life, where your life is completely defined because of that action or that choice that you made? This morning, we're going to be talking about the new year. I'm so excited about the new year because a new year represents a fresh start with new possibilities and new potentials and all the things that are out there before us in, in life. Uh, on this day, you get a blank page to write a new story, to write a new chapter, to do a new scene in life. You get a come like, completely a, a do-over if you like, an, an opportunity to chart a new a path or a new course, and yet at the same time, a a challenge to face the new directions and the new destiny that is before you. In Oprah Winfrey, there's some things that that I don't like about this gal in some terms of her theology and so forth. But when it comes down to this statement that she made here, she says the new year is a chance to get it right, to do it differently, and to do it perhaps better than it was done before. And I think what she is saying is that it's a possibility that you can be a a new you can emerge in this new, new year. That you can have a new being, a new way of doing, a new way of thinking. Those are all the possibilities that are before all of us. <clears throat> in other words, we don't have to look back because you're not going that way. Mary Albright said, you know, why are you looking back? You're not going in that direction. That's not to mean to say that, that we can't learn from our past, that we can learn from the, the, the bad decisions or the things that we have done in our lives. But it should be those things that we just concentrate upon and keep going back through i mean don't worry your past is still there you experienced it you lived it some of it is because of your own choices some of it's because of other people's choices but you have a past and it's back there but that's probably where it ought to stay well why is that because there's not anything you can do about the past I mean, there's not anything you can do about 2022. 2022 is in the books, and now all we can do is move forward in our lives. And so we're not about looking back, we're about looking forward to what is before us. That we should be spending an inordinate, an inordinate amount of time looking at our failures or our flaws or the cracks or the holes in the past year or those that are in even maybe in our lives or in our friends' lives or in our relatives' lives. And so today is a fresh start with a new year before us with infinite possibilities. Open your Bibles, if you would, over to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, and notice verses 6 through 9. In this section of Scripture, Jesus is telling his disciples a a, a parable. Actually, it's a lesson. And in the lesson, he's wanting them to learn a valuable lesson about the fruit of life and the importance of bearing fruit in life. Listen to what he says. And he began telling this parable a man had a fig tree which he had planted in the vineyard in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any and he said to the vine vineyard keeper behold for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any cut it down why does it use up the ground. And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put fertilizer in it. And if it bears fruit the next year, fine, but if not, then cut it down. And so really this is a lesson that is an allegory about the nation of Israel and where they were as a people. And what he is saying there is that, you know, that God is the, the owner of the vineyard. The vine dresser is Jesus Christ. And Israel is given a, a second chance, if you will, or they're given a warning that, listen, it's time that you bear fruit as a nation. And unless you bear fruit as a nation, you're going to be cut down. And you're going to be thrown a- away. So there is a lesson that is given to them there. So what is the purpose of a fig tree? Well, the purpose of a fig tree, of course, is that it bears fruit. And if it doesn't bear fruit, then it loses its purpose. And then he says just to cut the thing down. And so Jesus is telling his disciples this. I want you to think about it in terms of how it applies to us today. We, in fact, really are, we really are the vineyard, and we too have been planted just as that fig tree was planted. And what is the purpose of us being planted in the vineyard of, of, of God? Well, the purpose of us being planted, the purpose of us being there, is that we might be able to bear fruit. Now, in terms of what does that fruit mean, you know, we can't give it just a decisive a figure of what all is involved in being a, a, a fruit or bearing this kind of fruit. Obviously, in John the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 8, that Fabian read to us just a few moments ago, in that section, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you exist in order to bear fruit in me, and if you don't bear fruit, you'll be cut down, you'll be thrown into the fire, and you'll be burned. So we're expected to bear fruit in in our lives, but what does that fruit look like? Well, this morning, you know, I want to share with you some of the ways that we might look at the fruit. In times past, I've heard, you know, preach lessons on it and say, well, the fruit that he's talking about bearing is other people, but we don't bear branches. Branches bear fruit, Okay but the re, the result of us bearing fruit is that other people we brought in to know who jesus christ is the bearing of fruit there could possibly be the fruit of the spirit that's found over in galatians the fifth chapter in verse 22 and following the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness etc but it could be more than that i think it's fact broader than that i think it would certainly incorporate that but it may be beyond that and so let me just share with you some of the things that i think this bearing of fruit might involved and so I'm calling the sermon I am resolved. So as we begin the new year what can we be resolved to? Well the word to resolve means to decide firmly on a course of action. So what is this course of action that we might resolve to do that would help us to bear fruit in our lives? Let me share with you a number that I thought of just for myself personally. Number one is that I want to you know resolve to keep first things first in my life. Jesus over in Matthew, the sixth chapter and verse 33, there he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. When you think about priorities, when you think about what is first and what is last in our lives, Jesus knew that there would be things in our lives that would be in second place and in third place. He knew that those would be necessary in your life that you just normally have those things. But at the same time, as he thought about these priorities, he knew that there was always going to be this challenge for us to keep first things first and not allow second things to take preeminence over the necessary things. So what are some priorities that we might make in our lives that we keep first in our lives, keeping first things first? Well, the first one I think is this, is family. If I were you, I, I would resolve to keep family first in our lives. That's so important. You know, family is the center and the health and the strength, not only of the church, but even of our nation itself. And so keeping family in first place, I think, is so important. Take, for instance, David. David was a great king. David was a great ruler. He was a great warrior, but he didn't seem to be much of a father. And if you look at his children, you see that there were some disasters within his family tree. If you look at his son, Amnon, Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. There's Absalom. Absalom, who is a good-looking young man, he decides to take vengeance out on Amnon and murders him. Not only that, he tries to steal the kingdom away from his own father and ends up dying tragically. But here was a guy who had all kinds of potential, and yet he was not a good individual. David was a great king, a great warrior, but doesn't seem to be all that great of a father. He didn't spend enough. He was more involved in being the king than he was in being a father. Or Eli, the high priest, he spent his time in the temple, rather time with his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And those two boys, they're absolutely rotten to the core. Why is it? Because Eli was more concerned about ministry, more about temple than he was about his two boys and what they're going to do with their lives. And so they turned out to be a tragedy in and of themselves. So many people do those exact same things. They don't put things First, in terms of our families and I'm saying to you that listen we need to put our families first in our our lives that they're the most important part of that of our legacy that we leave behind one of the things that causes us to maybe stand back from that is the fact that we say well we're just I'm just so busy I got a busy life I got to take care of the house I got to take care of the garden I got to take care of my job I got to take care of this and that You need to know that no one ever laid on their deathbed and wished that they'd spent more time in their garden or spent more time cleaning the house or they spent more time in the office or more time on the the job site. No one ever thinks that way when they're dying and passing from this life. And yet family should be something that is important to us. In fact, always wish that we had more time to be with our mate, to be with our children, to be with family. I think that one of the most important things that we can do in life as a priority is by keeping Jesus first or keeping our families first in our lives. Secondly, I am going to resolve to make church a more important part of what my life is about. Over Matthew, the 16th chapter in verse 18, there it says that Jesus built his church. He says, in fact, he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against us. Listen, I don't care what you have heard or what you have read. The church is not obsolete. The church is important to every one of our lives. It builds our lives. It strengthens our lives. It helps us to stay focused on who we are serving and what we really are about. The church is a, should be of an importance to our lives. I know that for me personally, you know, I think you already know this after almost 20 years of preaching here that, you know, I, the first years of my life were not spent in church. I wasn't raised in the church. I, I didn't walk into a church building until I was 18 years old. But when I discovered how important the church was, when I discovered that I was a sinner and that I was lost because of my sin, when I discovered that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and that He died on the cross in order that I might be saved, when I was able to connect the two together, Then I decided to become a Christian. So on April the 8th, 1973, Rob Redden baptized me into Christ. Uh, You know, in 1974, on September the 21st, uh, Randy Baker, he performed Lori and I's wedding ceremony. That was like 48 years ago. In 1979, I quit my job, and I decided to go to school and to become a, a, a preacher. I've been preaching since 1979. I've reached thousands of sermons and, and taught thousands of classes, probably, over those, those years. I plan on my funeral being in the church. I love the church. I love everything there is about it. Now, I'm not naive about the church. I know that there's imperfection in the church. I know there's imperfection in the church because I'm imperfect The church is made up of imperfect people, sinners who have been made saints. So I know that in the church, we have some different things going on. We're a family of of God. And when you have families, well, in every family you have, you know, you have those crazy cousins and you have those eccentric aunts and you have the black sheep that are there. We have them in our own congregation and that's okay. That's okay because we have some of of that, but we're families. And because of that, the church should be something that is so important to us in, in every way. I'd like to encourage you to resolve to be more committed to your attendance. And if you're online and you haven't been here in a long time, I'd encourage you to get back here because you need it so, so much. The fellowship is just so much more warmer and, and so much more dear when you're together with one another and getting your arms around one another and smiling at one another and, and conversing with one another <clears throat> i'd encourage you to resolve that you would be involved in the various activities of our congregation. We have so many activities that are coming up here in two thousand and twenty three that will give you opportunity to, to serve and to be a, a part. I would encourage you to be good givers because not only are we doing things locally but we're doing things internationally in terms of helping our missionaries they are as far away as croatia and, and in africa and, and Guatemala and other places i'd encourage you to give heartily that you would resolve to be uh, put the church as your priority. Number three is I would resolve to make my devotional life more God-centered. I'm talking about praying. I'm talking about studying and reading God's word. I'm talking about meditating upon God's word. And I know that one of the reasons that we say that we don't do more of that is because, well, you know, I'm just so busy. I just don't have the time. Here's what I've learned about time. Time is a very valuable commodity that you can only spend once. And once you have spent it, it's gone forever. But all of us have the time. We make the time for things that are important to us, whether it's watching TV or whether it's surfing on the Internet or whether it's playing games or, or whatever that might be. We have so much time that is given to us. I would submit to you that we need to give more time to studying God's word. To reading God's Word. I'm talking about carving out time in your life where those play a priority in your life because the way you go closer to God and he to you is by knowing what he is about and what he expects of us in, in life. And so I'd make that a priority in my life. I was reading about a judge who had retired, but while he was a judge, he had a young woman that came before him in court because she, her son was been delinquent from school. He wasn't going to school. And the reason he wasn't going to school was because his mama wasn't taking him to school. And so the judge tried to insist to her that, you know, listen, you need to be taking your son to school. And her reason for not doing so is she said, I don't have time. I don't have time to take my son to school. And no matter how much the judge would argue with her and try to show her the value of having her son in school and taking the time to get him to school, she refused to listen to any of his counsel. So he eventually said to her, I'm going to throw you in jail. So he puts her in jail and he says to her, he goes, while you are there, I want you to find time. I want you to look under your pillow and find time. I want you to look under your bed and find time. I want you to go to every corner of that cell and find time. And when you have found time, you let me know and I'll set you free. It takes her very long to find out that time goes by very slowly in a cell. And so she found time, he freed her and she got serious about getting her son to school on time. Like I said, we have time for the people and for the things that we think are important. I would encourage you to make your devotional time of praying and reading God's word and meditating it upon a part of your daily life. I'd make that a property. I would keep first things first as I go into 2023. Number two, I'd resolve to do more personal soul winning. Now, there's a proverb over Proverbs 11 and verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. I want you to look at what it said there. Now, listen, I'm not going to belabor this point because I think two weeks ago, I did a whole lesson on the idea of reaching out to those who are lost. But you just need to be reminded that that is the, one of the, the purposes of what the church exists for, and that is to win those who are lost. A wise person is one who tries to win Souls, it makes every effort to do so. And so we already know that. In fact, we know that it's the last commandment that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always until the end of days. He said, go and make disciples. How do you do it? By baptizing them into Christ. That's what you do. You need to be about carrying out the command that Jesus Christ has given to us. I think one of the most joyful things that's going to be in heaven is to stand in heaven with those that you have helped bring to Christ. I think one of the most terrible feelings in the world or embarrassing moments in the world is if we stand there and we don't stand with anyone that we have brought to Christ. That's our job. And so I would encourage you to do two things as we go into 2023. Number one is each one win one each one of us decide that we're going to try to bring one person to Christ this year I'm not saying bring in three I'm not saying bring in five or ten I'm not even saying bring two I'm saying bring one person bring one person how do you do that you got to get bold be bold for 15 seconds 15 seconds you're going to suck it up gut up and you're going to say something about Jesus that you're going to say something about the church. Maybe you're going to invite a friend or an acquaintance to church with you. Maybe you might invite them to do a Bible study with you. Richard, I don't know how to do Bible studies. Well, I do. And I know a handful of others that know how to do Bible studies, home Bible studies. We'll hook you up in that way. You can set in, I'll conduct the study, but at least make that effort to invite them to church or to a Bible study. Resolve that you're going to win one person to Christ. Number three. I'd resolve to make reconciliation with anyone that you might be at odds with. I'd try to fix the relationship that maybe I found myself in. Listen, the church and Christianity is all about relationships. It's all about what people are about. Life is too short to go through it at being odds with each other. In fact, Jesus talked about that in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 23 and 24. There he says, if you find yourself at the altar, getting ready to give your sacrifice and and." and realize that you're at odds with someone that you have an offense with someone he says go leave your sacrifice at the altar go and be reconciled and then come back and offer your all your your sacrifice why is he saying that he's saying that our horizontal relationship is as important when it comes down to our vertical relationship if our horizontal relationship with one another is not good we can't possibly have a vertical relationship with God and so he's saying get that right Get your vertical relationship right. Get your horizontal relationship right. And if you're wondering, how do I go about doing that? Well, Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 15 through 17, says if any brother has an offense against you, go to that person in private. If he listens to you, then you have won him. If not, bring two or three witnesses with you so that every fact might might be confirmed. And if he won't listen to that, then bring it to the church. Relationships are so important in life. So how do you like that picture for a New Year's thing? So do you all remember when you're little, you know, you, you fell down, maybe you tripped or you fell off your skateboard or off your bicycle or you tripped and in doing so you skinned up your, your knee? A couple of days later, the healing process begins and, and that wound quits seeping. And eventually it starts to, to scab over and you have this big scab on, on your knee. You remember those things? I remember a bunch. I still have scars from those things on my knees and, and elbows. Well, maybe you're like this little girl. Do you, you ever have anyone do this or have you ever seen someone do this? A child gets this scab and they begin to pick at it. They begin to pick at the, the scab. Sometimes they even tear the scab off. And the result of that is, is the thing starts to bleed and now the wound is, is fresh again. And then some parent sees that action and goes over to that little child and said, Listen, you need to keep, quit picking at that thing. You need to quit tearing that thing at that, that thing, or it will never heal up. We get that as children, don't we? But I would suggest to you that this is how some people treat relationships. They keep picking at them. They just keep picking at them and, and, and rubbing on them and uh, picking at the wounds and the holes and the cracks and the hurts and the disappointments that is in their relationships. You need to quit. you need to quit. Picking at one another. Listen, people need to hear that. Some church folks need to hear that. Some Bible-believing, faith-walking, spiritual-talking, Scripture-quoting folks need to hear that. You need to quit picking at one another. It'll never heal if you don't. It'll never heal. And if you keep throwing salt in the wound, it will never heal. Listen, you just need to stop the healing will not will take place the holes can be covered the cracks can get filled in a new year grace can cover it mercy will undergird it and agape love will forget it there's blessings that are waiting for 2023 if you do this i just think it's so important when you talk about reconciliation Ephesians chapter 4 verses I have it up to twenty-five, but I want you just to dial in on verses thirty-one and thirty-two for uh, the morning. Here's what it says: Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now listen, we have offended God. So many times, thousands of times in our lives. And God is still there ready to reconcile, to be back with us, to heal that crack or that fissure that has happened between us. He's able to forgive us. That's an incredible thing when you think that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's able to do that. If we're gonna be the children of God, we have to work our way to that point where we can be forgiving of those who have hurt us and harmed us and disappointed us in our, our lives. Life is just too short to go through life at odds with other people. We're commanded to try to make things right with others. We need to take down the barriers and do all that we can to be at peace with one another. Uh, number four is I've resolved to invest in eternal things. You know, Jesus said, Listen. Lay up treasures on uh, in heaven, where moth and, where thieves do not break in, and moth and rust does not does not destroy. Don't lay up treasures on earth, where thieves break in, where moth and rust destroys. And so, those are the eternal things. So, what do some of these eternal things look like? Well, things that are eternal is that is God. God is e- eternal. Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. What is that saying? It's saying that God has always been, and He will always be. That's an eternal thing that you need to grasp and hold, hold on to. That God cares for you. That God is compassionate. God is loving, and that God wants to spend an eternity with you. That's an eternal thing you need to hold on to. The Word, John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 says, He created all things. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt uh, among us. If you were to look at the original, the, the Word is capitalized in John 1 and verse, and, in ver, 1 and, verse, and then in verse 14, and it's referring, of course, to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the, the end. He has always been like His Father. Your soul is so important. You are a three-part being. You are fleshly body. You are soul and you are spirit. The soul is the part of you that will spend eternity somewhere. It'll either go to heaven or it goes to hell, depending upon what your relationship with God is at this point, whether you are saved or whether you are lost. In Mark, the soul in hell is referred to as a worm that, that, consumes, but never consumes completely. It, it never dies. That's the one place that you don't want to go. Of all places, you, you don't want to spend eternity without God. You certainly don't want to spend eternity in hell or in a lake of, of fire. Number four, when you talk about grasping the whole of eternal things, the gift is, uh, eternal life is a gift. John 3 and verse 16, for God so Love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's eternal life. And that's all been made possible with Christ's death on the cross. And by our obedience to it, we can be saved. My point is this, is your soul will live forever, either with God or without him. But if you receive the gift of salvation, you can have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's what's after to you if you haven't already done so as you look forward to 2023. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said many years ago. He says, hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death grip. When you talk about earthly things, holding loosely, just think about the fact that there are things you cannot take with you. What's the old saying that you never see a U-Haul behind a hearst? Uh, you know, you're not going to take any of that stuff with you. You're not going to take cars and houses and clothes, and you're not going to take any of those things with you. Those things are all temporal kinds of things. The eternal things are the ones that I've just talked about. And so hold fast to those things. Resolve to make sure that you've got a good hold on eternal things. Lastly, if I were lost, I would resolve to trust Jesus. Why is that? Because life is uncertain. I mean, you don't know what your life is going to be like. You're but a vapor that's here today and soon vanishes away. And if you've lived for any time at all in life, all you have to do is look back to your childhood years and see where you are now presently, and you'll see how that has went by so quickly, so fast. There's times when it seems to just be going by by in a crawl, but when it's done and you're looking back, it is very rapid. It goes by very quickly. Life is uncertain. You don't know what is going to prevail Tomorrow. All you have to do is read the newspaper, look at the shootings that happened. Even on New Year's Eve, people lost their lives. They didn't go to those parties planning on losing their lives, but they did. In a moment and in a time. Life is uncertain. Obeying the gospel is a defining moment. Remember we talked about Royal Regals? Was that a defining moment in his life? Should it have been? Was it a defining moment in our life? Was it a defining moment in your life? The defining moment in your life is your obedience of the gospel. That's why I can so clearly remember April the 8th, 1973, when I gave my life to Jesus. That was a defining moment in my life. That's where I prioritized my life. That's when I decided I'm going to get serious about life. I'm going to give something my life to something that has purpose in it that I'm going to go from being lost to being saved, that I'm going to go from being sin-soaked to being washed in the blood of Jesus, that I'm going to go from being outside of the church and in darkness to being added to the church, that my name is going to be enrolled in heaven, my citizenship is going to go be in heaven, and when Jesus comes back, I'm going to go back to heaven with him. Obeying the gospel is a defining moment in your life, one that will both define you both now and throughout all eternity. So here's Roy Regals, and he's in at halftime, and he's sitting on one of the the uh, chairs that is there, and his head is in his hands. And the coaches said to him, to Roy and the rest of the team, the the team that began the first half is going to go out the second half. They all fell out, and Roy Regels is sitting there, his head is in his hands, and the tears are in his eyes and on his cheeks. And Coach Price looks back at Roy, and Roy, and he says. Roy, did you not hear what I said? The, the team that, the guys that began the first half are going out in the second half. And Roe Riggles with tears in his eyes says, I can't do it. I've ruined myself, I've ruined you, I've ruined the team. I can't face that crowd out there. And Coach Price went over and put his, his hand on Roy's shoulder and said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. And Roy Riggles did, and he said he played an incredible game in that second half. They lost the game seven to eight. Roy, in his life, thinks about being called Wrong Way Riggles. And he said, and it followed me for a good period of my life. I'd be walking through a mall or at an airport or at a fair or somewhere where there's a great crowd of people, and I hear the words, Wrong Way. And he said, I'd always turn around to look to see if they were talking about me or addressing me. And he goes, and, and 99 times out of 100, they weren't, and probably even beyond that. That they forgot all about it. I was the one that kept going back to that. 42 years after uh, him going the wrong way, Georgia Tech, they invited uh, Roy back as an alumni to one of their football dinners. And at that dinner, they're going to present him with an a athletic letter as being a member of the Georgia Tech football team. And he says, and I went and I accepted that letter and told them, I'm receiving this letter because I guarantee you, I earned every bit of it. You can believe that. Well, but that moment didn't define him. He went on to live a great life. I think we can do the same thing. I think we can put the past behind of 2022 or beyond and that we can begin 2023 with a great life. So I'd resolve, I'm resolved in 2023 to keep first things first to win a soul for Jesus, to reconcile to any hurt relationship, to invest in eternal things and trust my life to Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know when your end will come. I really don't. I don't, I don't know if maybe the game that, you, you know, you just have just started the game. Some of you might be in the middle of the game. Some of you might be at the very wee end of the game. Here's what I do know is that all of us are closer to the end than we are to the beginning. I mean, we're closer to the end when Jesus is going to come. Someone said to me there, he goes, when do you think Jesus is going to come? I said, I don't know when he's going to come, but I know he's closer now than he's ever been. And today he's even now more closer. I want to be ready for him. I want you to be ready for him. And so why not resolve this morning? Why not resolve some important things in your life? And especially... If you're not giving your life to Jesus, why not resolve that and give your life to Jesus Christ? To be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. To be added to the church. To have your name enrolled in the book of heaven and your citizenship being placed there. Not only will you be taken care of now in this life, but in the life to come. I would encourage you to come to respond in whatever you weigh the first day of the first year, this moment, at this time, and in this place. While together we stand and while we sing.